Hey, good morning, everybody. How are you? Good? Well, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Jason Jackson. I'm one of the uh, pastors here at New Life Downtown. Welcome to Sunday School. Uh, for those of you who are planning on coming last week and we canceled, I apologize for that. Uh, just scheduling things on my end. I didn't get far enough ahead of planning all those things. So uh, please forgive me for uh, that. And hopefully you got the communication and didn't show up and come in the room and be waiting for people. And going, Where is everybody? If you did, I'm sorry for that as well. Uh, let me tell you just a little bit about Sunday School before we get started. So uh, Sunday School typically for New Life Downtown meets for 10 to 12 weeks every fall, 10 to 12 weeks every spring. Uh, and in the context of these gatherings, we try to just address various sort of topics or issues or texts uh, that we feel are sort of pressing kinds of issues or ideas for the church to have a longer sort of platform or space to discuss and wrestle and debate and question and all of those things. So we've covered everything from uh, talking about uh, homelessness in our city and how do we kind of respond in the midst of uh, what's happening in and around the city that we live in. Uh, we've talked about singleness and how is it we live out faithful lives as singles uh, for Christ. We've talked about uh, politics and we've done, you name the issue, we've probably at some point in the last couple of years uh, talked about it in some way. Uh, so we'd like to kind of have that venue to have these longer discussions that sometimes are hard to have in the context of worship when we have, you know, a 20 to 30 minute sermon, as opposed to being able to have an hour and a half sort of discussion about things. Uh, a couple of our team that helps put Sunday School together are here today. Brian and Britt Kwan are over here uh, on the side. They're part of our team. Jacob Billmeyer is not here. But they help me kind of think through ideas and plan and pray and uh, put all of this uh, together for us. Um, in the back, there is a sign-up sheet. So usually after um, Sunday School, if we have some sort of PowerPoint presentation, they email that out via a separate kind of... Um, distribution list. That's the one I'm looking for. Uh, so if you want to sign up to get any of the announcements about what's happening in Sunday school, um, resources, those kind of things that get sent out, you can sign up in the back there and they'll be uh, make sure we get that to you. All right, this morning, uh, we are actually going to, this is the second part of uh, a short series on discussing women in ministry. Uh, and so today we're going to have a panel discussion uh, with a couple people going to come up and answer some questions, and then we'll have some room for uh, Q&A at the end. Uh, but I want to pray and then make some opening comments to kind of set the stage for us, uh, and then we'll dive into that. Sound good? All right, let's pray together. Gracious Father, thank you for spaces to come together and to talk. To sit in the room, share coffee and bagels and ideas, and to wrestle and pray and ask. Uh, listen, and we ask that as we gather, uh, that we be mindful of your presence with us, and that your spirit would continue to speak. And as you speak, that our ears would be open, uh, our minds would understand, and that you would ignite our hearts with love for you, love for one another, love for the church, love for glory. And allow that, these conversations, to shape and form us in the image and likeness of Jesus empower us to continue the gospel mission for God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right, as we begin, a couple opening comments. Uh, as I said, this is the second week in the series. So two weeks ago, um, I walked through all of the New Testament texts 
uh, related in some capacity to the topic of women in ministry. Uh, so if you want to go on our New Life Downtown Sunday School podcast, we have two different podcasts, one for Sunday morning services, one for Sunday School. So if you're on iTunes, search New Life Downtown Sunday School, you can find that talk there. Uh, but at the very beginning, uh, rather than kind of like leaving it out there like, well, where does the church stand on these things? We figured it's best to just come right out and say it. Uh, so that we know kind of where this conversation is headed. Uh, and so New Life Church, uh, as a collection of churches in the city, and particularly for us at, at New Life Downtown, for all the congregations, believe fully in women ministry. Uh, we believe that women uh, can serve in any capacity, at, in any position, in any kind of ministry, at any level of ministry of the church. That there are no uh, boundaries to where women serve because of gender. Uh, so that's where we're coming from. Now, we know that there are folks in our congregations who disagree uh, with that position. We know that there are churches that we're in deep relationship with, but we have friends who disagree on that topic. And there is lots of kind of discussions around that. Uh, but for us, that's where we stand. Uh, and there's several reasons why. Uh, first of all, uh, this is really what we tackled the very first week, is that we believe that this is actually the testimony of the scriptures. Uh, that when you look at the scriptures as a whole, and you understand what's happening, particularly in the New Testament, uh, that the first of all, the dominance of texts in the New Testament show women serving in very, very significant ministry roles in the church. Um, you look at some passages like Romans 16, you think about Priscilla, you about Phoebe, you think about Junia, that we have all of these women who are serving in very specific roles and given very specific titles uh, and involved in significant ways in Jesus's ministry and in the early church. We only have two passages in the entire New Testament that may in some ways suggest otherwise. Uh, and for us, those passages, when we look at them in the context of what's happening in those letters and in those cities, uh, we think that these are actually situational instructions, not universal instructions. Uh, so these are talking about specific issues in specific congregations that are related to that congregation's mission in that city and the things that are happening. And so it's momentary kinds of guidelines and instructions for to help the overall uh, aspect of things. So, for example, like First Corinthians 14, uh, we believe that really what that is about is about order in worship. Uh, and Paul's have to address a very specific issue about disruptions in worship. And when we get to the First Timothy passage, writing to Ephesus and talking specifically about things from the Artemis cult, the Artemis religion in Ephesus that are beginning to bleed into the church, and Paul talking and addressing those kinds of things. So for us, we believe, first and foremost, it is a scriptural issue. Uh, in fact, I had uh, one of my seminary professors uh, responded to some controversy last month uh, with this uh, statement that I thought uh, we'd read because I think it's something that we resonate with here at the church. Uh, Deborah, the Old Testament judge, was not a mistake. Huldah was a prophet. Junia was not a man. Romans 16 is not an anomaly. Uh, Priscilla was a preacher, and the women prophesying in 1 Corinthians 11 were exercising the most treasured and authoritative gift of their own covenants. Uh, so that's kind of what we're saying. We look at the whole message scripture, that's what we see. Second, we believe it's a gospel issue. Uh, that when we think about what Jesus came to do, uh, 
uh, and what Jesus's mission was, and what Jesus is trying to create in the context of the church, uh, that this is a core issue of the gospel. Uh, we see Jesus inviting women into discipleship. Uh, this is really revolutionary for the time period. We don't have any other record of someone of Jesus's stature and type of ministry inviting women into this kind of discipleship. That was something that's generally exclusively given to men, but not to Jesus. He's inviting women into that. And then for the very beginning of the resurrection, the first witnesses of the resurrection were women. The first preachers of the resurrection were women. They were the apostles to the apostles. Uh, and we don't believe that that's a mistake. Uh, that there's something very core to what Jesus is doing that is about both male and female. Uh, and really a recovery of what God's original intention was. Uh, that we see Genesis 1 and 2, it was male and female both who were working together to fulfill the commission that God had given them. Uh, we believe that that's true for the church as well. So for us, this is a gospel issue. It's not a feminist issue. It's an issue of the gospel and of the text. Uh, next for us, we believe it's also a historical issue. It's not a modern one. Uh, that if you look at the first two centuries of the church, the first 200 years, of the church's history. Uh, women were heavily involved in church in a variety of roles, in a variety of ministries, and it wasn't until the 200s that we began to see that shift. Um, and so a lot of the things that people will talk about in terms of traditions and things related to the history of the church are actually things that begin to develop in the 200s, uh, not things that were around in the first two centuries. And so for us, this is a recovery of the historical position of the church. Um, maybe not the most recent tradition of the church, but the historical tradition of God's people in the midst of those things. Uh, so for us, that's where we're coming from there. Uh, we believe it's a missional issue. Uh, if you look at the rise of the church and the growth of the church, particularly in those first two centuries, women played a critical role in that. Uh, Rodney Stark's book, The Rise of Christianity, details uh, some of those things in some phenomenal ways. Uh, and so part of the church's witness to the world is connected with the entire body of Christ being gifted and empowered and encouraged in ministry to all the world. Uh, so there's a critical missional aspect of this for us, as well as a discipleship and church help issue. Uh, that when we're talking about passages like Acts 2, where the Holy Spirit comes in the church and uh, Joel's prophesy, or Joel's preaching, not Joel, Peter's preaching right afterwards, he's talking about Joel, and he says the Holy Spirit will come on men and women, your sons and your daughters. And so the Holy Spirit gifts the entire body for the sake of the entire body. And so the disciple, men and women, could use their gifts to serve the church and serve the world. And when we do that, the whole church grows together in count. And when we sort of exclude one group of that, the whole church ends. Uh, so that's where we're coming from. Uh, we know that there are people who can disagree, and we are open to having conversations uh, that are respectful to one another. So if you happen to be in a different place and it's the conversation, you're welcome here. Uh, and we'll do the best we can to respect your position as you respect the one that we're coming from as well, uh, as we have those conversations together as brothers and sisters of Christ. Sound good? All right. Let's bring up our panel then, and we'll go from there. Uh, I'm going to invite my wife, Sarah, is going to come up today. 
my friend Lori Duncan and my friend Jen. Uh, Jen, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. I always mess it up. Scapins? All right, I got it right this time because you said it first. Would you welcome them this morning? All right, as they come forward, I'm going to ask uh, kind of first and foremost, so I'm going to do like four or five questions uh, for them, and then we'll turn it over to you uh, to ask any questions that you want to ask. Uh, but I'm going to start with ladies. Tell us a little bit about, um, kind of just briefly introduce yourself, and then tell us about uh, your ministry training, and your ministry history, and your current ministry context. Uh, just sort of what those look like, so just kind of know who you are and what ministry looks like for you. Uh, well, my name is Lori Duncan, and tell me again the history. The history. Okay. I uh, was found by God when I was 21, so I was not raised in a Christian home. Uh, initially, though, from the age of five or so, I had a, an inherent attraction for drums. And so I didn't know girls weren't supposed to play the drums. So, and my parents said, yes, so I played the drums. So I kind of grew up around the guys, kind of one of the guys, um, and never really had this idea that there are certain things that girls or women can't do. Now, my parents were not you know, raging feminists or anything like that. They grew up in the 30s and 40s, so almost the exact opposite. But they never told me, oh, you can't do that. You can't do that. So I was kind of ignorant, in a way, of uh, some of the norms that happened when little girls grow up. I was just not inhibited like that. So that's kind of a background there. I was found by God at 21 and started going to church. And... Uh, uh, it still took a while kind of for some of that to catch on. I never had a second thought if I saw a woman doing anything in a leadership role. Well, of course, why couldn't she? That was kind of my thought. I play the drums. Why can't she do that? <laughs> so um, it was it was later on, kind of as I got married and started having kids, that there was more of this, okay, the wife submits, you submit, you submit. And I actually had now my, my ex say to me more than once, oh, well, you can't tell me anything. A woman shall not teach a man. And uh, a couple of other things, that's, that's why I'm divorced. Anyway, so, um, yeah, and then uh, went to a small church where they pulled me out from behind the drums to lead worship. And, and that pastor was very, I mean, very conservative in some ways but very open-minded when it came to women and gifting. He has a very intelligent wife who would not put up with much less. And so he actually invited me to speak to the congregation. And I think the way that we pulled it off at the time was, well, yes, there's a woman speaking and delivering the word and teaching men, but she's got this male pastor covering. So that's kind of I think how it flew at the time. I don't think he felt that way, but I think that if anybody had a problem, that's kind of the, what it came under. So, and I realize now, you know, that's a little bit chickening out. Um, what if a woman wants to be a pastor? What then? Training. Uh, homegrown training for 30 years, just in the church, reading the word, that kind of thing. And then a couple of years ago, I went back to school, went to Denver Seminary, and uh, have some interesting stories from there about uh, women pursuing degrees in theology and whatnot. Um, and then right now, I'm serving on staff at New Life Downtown as the assistant to the worship director. Um, and I do some spiritual direction. And I don't care what gender you are. 
my name is Jen. Uh, my context is a bit different from New Life. Um, so my I'll do history into my current context. Uh, I was raised overseas in Ecuador. My parents were missionaries in the Christian Missionary Alliance. Uh, moved to Nyack, New York, uh, where I did pretty much most of my growing up. Uh, my background is in business and interior design. Worked in marketing um, for a number of years after graduating from college. And uh, about three or four years ago, felt like the Lord was really reigniting a call to ministry. Um, and I didn't know what that looked like with a business background. So uh, kind of went on this uh, summer of searching and landed at Alliance Theological Seminary in Nyack. Uh, quit my job, went to school full time. Um, and God, like, completely met me there as far as how uh, he could use my calling and my gifting and my background in ministry, um, as well as uh, completely transform the brokenness of my story and my life uh, and healing me in a bunch of different ways. Um, so by the end of seminary, which was last May, uh, I got a job here in Colorado Springs with the Christian Missionary Alliance. I worked for a sub-ministry of them called Envision. We do internships, short-term trips, and leadership development. Uh, so I run operations for them. Hi, my name is Sarah Jackson, and I grew up in um, a home where my parents were they're great parents. They're deeply involved in ministry at whatever church we were at. We moved a little bit. My dad went to seminary. Um, and my, uh, I'm the oldest in my family. And just, I think because of that, paid special attention to the ways that my parents interacted with one another. And we were in, um, based on where we lived, a variety of different churches as far as denominational and non-denominational and church plans and larger churches and so now i look back on that and see that i i really did have a keen ear to the conversations that my parents were having about the way that um they experienced christ in their community and they um, very relational but i also have some really distinct memories of some things that happened to my mom some accusations that came against her and some things that really broke her spirit for a number of years regarding her own giftedness and her own personality even and it was directly related to her gender and so um she's a very strong and able person and i think that's kind of a part of my heritage as well just realizing there is strength and there is ability and there's also a brokenness that can happen to you because of that but i also saw her um, recover and be healed from that as well. Uh, as far as my contacts in ministry, um, I have a background in student development, but when um, Jason and I were newly married, he really wanted to go to seminary, and I really didn't want to do that with him. <laughs> and I, uh, I think a miracle happened in the sense that um, I was really not going to go. I was like, you can go, I'll stay here for next year and a half. <laughs> Um, good thing I went through there eight years. That would have been a long time. Uh, and my life was completely changed there. And I ended up also getting a degree in spiritual formation from Asbury Seminary. And it was at that place and in that season where my eyes were open to a lot of things about the church, not only concerning gender, but concerning race, 
social issues, global issues, and um, I think there's just a lot that I also put together as God preparing me for that in my family dynamic and seeing my parents' marriage, but also knowing they had, they disagreed with some of the things that the church taught, um, but they were able to still be in community with people. So anyway, a degree in spiritual formation, um, I'm becoming a spiritual director, and I also work very part-time for New Life Downtown with spiritual formation initiatives. And I have three daughters, so that's another reason why I really care about this topic. <laughs> awesome. All right, so first question I want to ask you all is, uh, two weeks ago, we did this whole discussion on New Testament texts, uh, and knowing that, uh, in some sense, some of these texts are really difficult, uh, and there's lots of um, different interpretations or proclamations that are made related to those texts. And so I would imagine that at various points in your lives in ministry, I've heard those texts talked about in a variety of different ways, uh, and had to personally sort of wrestle with those texts. And what do you do with them? How do you wrestle through them? How did the texts or the way that they were talked about kind of impact you? Um, so just, you know, like, like you to talk about how you wrestled with the texts, or even the traditions of uh, if it wasn't text that was like the traditions that come up regarding uh, recent church history or church practices surrounding the idea of the ministry. So, come tell us about your experience of wrestling through those messages. Uh, I'll go quickly. Um, so, I think I alluded to the whole thing with my mom. We were part of a church. She was leading, um, really, she was leading women's ministry. And she wasn't even speaking to the entire church um, at one time, but I don't know that I even know all the details, but I do know at some point um, her influence on even the pastor's wife or some other people was growing. People were coming to her with, you know, a desire for restoration and wanting to be discipled. And eventually the pastor of that church, who I think just in general had some narcissistic tendencies, so those should not be overlooked, but he took it upon himself to create um, strife among in my parents' home with accusing her of not being submissive to her husband and also um, removed her authority in the church. And I, I was pretty young at the time, maybe like eight or nine years old. So I didn't, I didn't know on what authority he was doing this. And there was a lot that my parents didn't tell me. I just remember hearing my mom sobbing in her room and knowing that she was going through something. Later, as I've grown up, we talked more about where did you even get? I don't even remember these, these scriptures being something that were talked about a lot in my family. So the most exposure that I had to some of these more quote-unquote controversial texts was actually when we were in seminary. And by that time, I'm hearing from people who know the original language, who have an opinion about the way these things are translated. And it was, it was eye-opening for me because I was also hearing more information about the translation of scriptures as a whole. So it wasn't just picking apart these, these passages, you know, out of context or uh, with an agenda. It was an understanding of scripture, the story of scripture as a whole, the, the, the way that scriptures are moving along the community of God. And it was also obviously very helpful to hear from people who 
um, were taking it upon themselves to teach the church something about these. And I realized at the time, I, I have heard, you know, if I come across these scriptures in some way, even though I've never been taught specifically, women have to submit because of this, or you can't do this. It was just in my, it was in there. Because when someone taught differently than that, I realized, oh, I guess I never, I didn't know there was another way, even though I literally have never been told anything specific. So a cultural thing had kind of become a part of me that I didn't even realize until I heard something different than just what's typical. Yeah, like I said, for me, I lived with some ignorance for a while. I just didn't have the wherewithal to realize, oh, women are told they can't do some things. And so, um, and there was, okay, so time, obviously, I'm, I'm older than the other ladies up here. And so there were still cultural mores and values that were communicated and internalized without really being aware. But, so when I say I wasn't aware, I was probably very settled in the fact that, okay, this, this is a role for men, this is a role for women, and I just took on some of the stuff that men typically did without really thinking about it. But there definitely was an inherent, oh, woman, president of the United States, that, you know, that's just not a thing that will ever happen, kind of thing. So, but it was just not thought about. Um, and then when I found God, when he found me, I fell, I fell hard. I fell hard for him. And reading his word, I was extremely committed to doing what it said, to learning it and to doing what it said. And so when a person in authority, which again, I think goes back to my generation, if a person in authority tells you something, you don't question, you do it. And so I'm hearing from pastors, from the pulpit, from marriage seminars or whatever, all of this very complementarian view that the man is the head and the woman submits. And until things got real unhealthy in my marriage, I was interested in submitting, and then not so much. Um, so in wrestling through them, I don't know that there was a lot of wrestling through till I went to seminary too, and I was older by then. But I had had enough positive things said that I didn't, it, it, it was hard to read those scriptures. I'd get there and I'd say every time, God, what, is, what were you thinking? Have this become permanent record in your word. Uh, this has caused a lot of pain in the world. And, but that was about, about it. Um, and then there was probably a little bit of the 70s, I'm woman, hear me roar kind of thing. It, again, it had been internalized. That was, oh, you, you say I can't do that? Let me show you. Um, little, oh, that's, modicum of rebellion if we should say so and I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing so wrestling through once I got to seminary probably but hearing it from a pretty at that point egalitarian view there were several who weren't but there were many who were especially the professor over the program I was in so that was that was really helpful really freeing and uh, yeah has made a difference I would say, though, another thing that has really helped me is to, to really remember that it is Jesus who is my defense. When people get real argumentative and real combative about this issue, I don't, I don't have to be combative about it. 
I can state where I stand, and and he does the rest. It's up to him, if that makes sense. So being raised in the context that I currently serve in as well, the denomination, um, they currently don't allow women at certain levels of leadership, and they don't ordain women, they consecrate them, um, but the, they go through the same process. Um, but they call it something different. Um, that was the context I was raised in, but my parents didn't run our household like that necessarily. Um, so I was raised similarly um, to these two ladies. Of, like I didn't question anything that really was about, but there was a lot that was um, that I learned and that I was operating in that I wasn't aware of just because of what I was so around me and the context of ministry that my parents were working in and then that um, I eventually served in the church uh, while I was in seminary. Um, and it wasn't until I was being called in a direction that was unfamiliar in my denomination for women to, to serve in that I was beginning to wrestle with it. Um, and so when I was in seminary, I was at a point where I felt like God wanted me to lay down all of my dreams and just press into what he had for me in that moment. Halfway through, he started stirring dreams in me, and being a pastor was one of them, and that was not an option. And so that was really, really hard. Um, and I think that was probably the first time I really started wrestling with and returning to assumptions I had about the church and about women in ministry and started just questioning whether or not um, I believed uh, what what I believed and how I believed it and how I aligned with the current denomination I was in um, and also diving into what they said and uh, I had assumptions that they were even they held a stronger line than they actually do um, and so finding room in how they um, structure the church and, and lead the church, there was room there that I assumed wasn't there. Um, so there was both a wrestling of the church structure and denomination as well as the, the scripture and the, uh, the theology behind it. And it, was, it was meeting people that knew the language and the context. Context was so vital in my diving into the scriptures and to the issue of women in ministry that the church is in a context. The, the church started with Jesus, and that's the con there's more context than just the past 200 years, or the, or the, or even my denomination's history. There's more context to it. So putting the whole issue in the bigger context of humanity was just super helpful to not make it a feminist issue, or even just a purely theological issue. But it was a there's a bigger narrative. Share the mic a little bit more here. Uh, so tell us a little bit then, kind of. Um, particularly as you've kind of followed the call of God on your life and gone through family and in ministry and the things that you all have done, uh, tell us about uh, any obstacles or opposition that you faced. Uh, and particularly, how did those things affect you? Um, how did you respond and where did you encounter Jesus in the middle of that? Um, so just any obstacles. We kind of alluded to some of them already. Um, and it may be something that you personally experienced, or maybe a friend personally experienced. It. You feel like you, there's something there to share as well. Um, but what obstacles or opposition you faced to come along the way, and where was Jesus in the midst of it? It's probably a real gift that 
I can say, I don't, I actually can't pinpoint personal opposition other than what's come internally from my own insecurities. Um, but I have a lot of friends who are called to pastoral ministry and who have experienced extremely damaging and hurtful and, um, they've, they've experienced, uh, not only words, but actual, you know, people putting obstacles in their path that not only hurt them, but caused them to question, am I really, am I, am I just hearing nothing? What is this? You know, and, and then I've seen women who, um, have sort of borne those maybe without as much doubt, but there's just this ceiling that I see them bumping their heads against. And it, it pains me because um, while I do believe that generationally there are some things that my daughters will not have to bear that say my mother's generation or the generation before her did, there, unless, I believe that unless a church is doing, purposefully doing something about this, that there will still be this ceiling that we don't even know is there. So Jason and I have talked about the fact that, um, and I say this without consternation, my daughters, other than last weekend, are not seeing a woman preach on a regular basis. And that pains me because they might be, they may be getting a message that I do not want them to have. They might not, but they might be. And to have to even wrestle with that hurts me and makes me sad. Or when I hear other women say, oh, I would never vote for a woman. I mean, what if she's, you know, what if she hits that button on her period? It's, it's, it's not painful maybe personally to me, but it's painful that it's a cultural milieu that my daughters are growing up in. And, um, so yeah, I don't know that the woundedness is personal, but maybe I take it on sometimes from the things that other people have experienced. I was uh, asked to be an elder at the church where I ended up leading worship, and that caused some issues uh, that a woman had been asked to be an elder, and one of my really good friends could not get past. It's funny, not the scriptures that, that we've talked about here, but in the description of an elder, it says, you know, the husband of one wife, the husband of one wife. And she could not get over that, that that meant it had to be a man. You know, the, the language to her meant it just, it, a female cannot be an elder. And so that was probably the most direct opposition that I personally experienced. Um, I was an elder anyway, so. <laughs> um, what can I say? Um, so, but there were some horror stories from seminary where uh, women would be going through to get a master of divinity so they could become a pastor or on pastoral staff. And they would be in their homiletics class to stand up and give their sermon and the men in the class would turn their chairs around and put their backs to the women, uh, communicating, well, it's 
clear what they were communicating. And so that and that just happened two or three years ago. It's still a thing that that happens. And um, yeah, a couple of other thoughts that I might save for later. But uh, yeah, so that's probably the most direct, super negative influence that I was running. Uh, yeah, again, like my story, I didn't really feel or see the opposition until I was personally facing it or trying to pursue uh, a path. Um, so it was in seminary where I where I saw it a lot in uh, my classmates. Uh, nothing ser like that. Um, but I was pursuing an MDiv, and I would be one of three girls in the class. In the rest of the so there was just a... I felt in some of the biggest opposition, I guess you could say, um, that I felt was just feeling very female in certain contexts and sometimes just not knowing what to do with that. Um, and volunteering on a church staff and uh, in our denomination, there are strains of districts or churches that are um, opening up things wider than the denomination necessarily has opened. Um, and we hired a new pastor, um, had tons of people in my congregation that was very women empowering in leadership and in ministry. And um, I started volunteering on the church leadership, um, doing some internship stuff for the seminary and wanting some preaching experience doing the preaching team. Um, it was me and, and four or five males. And again, still just feeling very female and not sometimes that was not okay and I didn't know why and I didn't know what what was happening sometimes so it was more confusion than I would say opposition um, and then there was times where um, some of the my co-workers would say what they believe and they're super empowering and what they and what they actually believe was was something I agree with and then we would be organizing an event or something and I needed a ride and so I I asked if I could get a ride and he was like, oh, well, we'll have to switch with somebody else. So it was just going to be me and him. And like he said it without even knowing like what message that was getting. And um, so boundaries was a huge piece of the of me wrestling with the opposition I was getting is um, respecting boundaries that they would want to hold, but at the not at the cost of my value. And needing to approach those conversations when they needed to be approached. So I did actually go to him after that incident because I, I felt so, like, gross. And I didn't need to be. Um, it, and I, I just needed a ride. <laughs> um, and so we, we openly talked about it. And he had just no awareness of it. He had no clue that that comment would be received uh, like that. And he, he, I mean, he was in tears. And he just, like, apologized. And so having those moments amidst the opposition were really healing for me. But also, I felt like it was, it was helping him uh, take steps forward to actually live out what he was saying. You all, you started to allude to this a little bit, kind of in sharing, you know, a little bit of the opposition obstacles. 
But I want to ask the, the correspondingly opposite question. Uh, what places along the way, like either it was people or churches or teachers or resources, uh, where kind of along the way have you experienced the most support or encouragement or empowerment? Like where have been those places that have been in the midst of opposition to obstacles have been streams of living water um, that have kind of encouraged you to continue to pursue that's calling? I worked for a man one time who, uh, it was at the seminary, and in the first couple of weeks when I was there, they had just had graduation. And there was a, an extra bulletin from the commencement ceremony um, on my desk. And he pointed at a picture on the, on the program, and it was just a picture of, of graduates, of graduates standing in a line that was just like their knees down. So it just showed their shoes and the bottom of their gowns artistic I'm sure and he said he said what's wrong with that picture and I said I don't if there's no faces I don't know <laughs> what do you want me to say and he said look at the shoes he said those are all men I'm like flabbergasted how did I not see that because I'm a woman and I guess to see it. But from then on, I started looking at not only with gender, but with race, like what is portrayed, what message is portrayed here that is subliminal and maybe not meant to be, but it's not outright either. You know? And I think that the thing that has been the most helpful for me is when people are purposeful about the messages that they're trying to give on this subject. They don't hope that people just, well, they know where we stand or... You know, of course we love women. They can do whatever. You know, no. What What are people doing to specifically affirm particular women? And what are people doing to affirm women as a whole? Um, and at the same time, there's a fine line between that and patronizing as well. And so it gets real interesting. But I think when people have humbly and just in a, in a way said, I want you to get this message that you are gifted and that you have a place here and we need to hear your voice. You wouldn't want to hear that. Just in general, a man or a woman would want to hear that, but, but being very intentional about the messages that we give to people. Yeah, I listen to that and think there must, you know, I am still the age that I am and I think, yes, I, I want to empower women, obviously. I don't want to ever vote or elect someone or put them in a passport just because they're a female or just because of anything else. But I do want to give everyone an equal shot with their gifting, with how God has gifted that individual person. All of the qualifiers aside. You know. So for me personally, um, again, growing up in the drum section with all the guys, I never felt out of it because from little age on up, it was like, oh, yeah, we're all in this together. They would do some of their, I'll be careful, some of their teenage guy things and talk in their teenage guy ways. And I'd roll my eyes, you know, I wouldn't participate, but by the same token, yeah, that's just how people are. People. I didn't think that's how guys are. That's how people are. So grew up through that and then went through the, the bump of being married to someone who was not uh, very healthy. Uh, as in these with women also, 
as well as many other things. But then I ended up in the church with the pastor that was very open to women and the people and whoever you are using the gifting that you have. In fact, I was called a reluctant leader. I didn't want to do any of that stuff. <laughs> I, you know, but they uh, encouraged and I stepped out and did it. And so on the one hand, it was, oh, hey, this is great that a, that a female and not just me, other females were given opportunity. That, so that's on the one hand. On the other, it was like, like I said before, well, yeah, this is the way it's supposed to be. I don't know. Why is this such a big deal? So they, I had both of those messages. And then going to seminary, um, the program that I was in, the professor was very egalitarian in views in that uh, women are just as capable and should have just as much opportunity as men. I will tell this story. We were reading, I think it was a Puritan author, which some of the, the analogous ways they were talking about God and his bride were not very pure, shall I say. I mean, it was their texts were kind of awkward in talking about like the spiritual marriage and the intimacy language involved in this spiritual marriage. And as this man was writing, he kept referring to himself in the feminine because he's considering himself part of the bride of Christ. And so we're having a discussion about this, and one of the guys in the class said something about how weird it was to read that. And my professor immediately said, welcome to the world of our sisters, where everything they read is couched in male-dominant language. You know, uh, what is the, thy my true father, I thy true son. You know, women just don't even think about that. We've always kind of subsumed the feminine person under the male descriptors. And for this guy in one story, he was like, man, that's weird. And I just so appreciated the professor's immediate response. Welcome to the world of our sisters. So, yeah, there's been encouragement for sure. I think some of the best experiences I had were in the midst of, like, the difficult conversation and seeing people take steps uh, in a direction of um, inclusiveness or or just even opening up their minds to something that I was feeling just to be heard was were experiences that um, were really powerful for me. And then Sarah alluded to this idea of this like ceiling. And I, uh, a good book is Powerful and Free by Danny Silk. Um, he talks about breaking the boundary of women in ministry. And I read, I started reading that book and realized my glass ceiling was way lower than the ceiling of leadership and the denomination and all of that. And so one of the most powerful experiences with my mentors were breaking my own glass ceiling um, and them coming alongside me and not wanting to to charge forward to break this glass ceiling of the denomination that's there, but to help me break free of my own glass ceiling. Um, and I'm still breaking free of that. I feel like the glass ceiling of the denomination is still way higher than my own. Um, and so there's room still for me right now to work on me um, and work on the limitations that I put on myself and the bondages that I, I'm involved in. Um, and for mentors also to put that in the context of women in leadership and and knowing where I'm at, and they met me where I was at, but they um, 
they instilled a vision and a dream for me that I'm breaking those glass ceilings for myself because I may be called to help break the ceiling. And there's uh, there's people coming behind me, um, and there's people that are that have come before me um, and put me in a, a wide wider context and vision for uh, for that. And those have been super powerful conversations. Um, and I think the the other one that has really resonated with me, especially now that I'm in a context of ministry, is the concept the concept of leadership and authority, and it's been conversations that I've had with my mentor recently, over and over of um, leadership, spiritual leadership is both leadership and authority, and how to walk in your true authority, your true identity. And, um, again, it takes it out of the, the women in leadership as a role and puts it in a, how do you become a true follower of Christ and walk in your true authority. Um, and again, there's ceilings there that that are way lower. <laughs> um, and so to put it as uh, I'm pursuing authority and walking in my true authority. I'm not pursuing a role. I'm not pursuing power. I'm not pursuing a leadership position. Um, I'm truly pursuing my identity in Christ and walking in my true authority. Um, and when that becomes the, the context to which I'm mentored and that's the direction I'm um, it's just super powerful. Last one, then we're going to open it up. But if, if you just have a chance to, to, to tell everyone in the room, either us in the room or New Life Downtown or the church in general, one thing that you would like us to know or consider as it relates to this, like what would that be? Or would be one thing like have a chance to say something and people to, to hear and listen and wrestle with? Um, what would it be? Down with the patriarchy. No. Um, I would say, if I could say the one thing for everyone to take a step back from what they've been taught, ask God to help see with new eyes, and look at how Jesus Himself was with them. How he interacted with women, how he elevated with women. Um, because because if, if we do that, then it can start to reform in, in the best meaning of the word. Um, how the relationship is approached between Christ and the female members of his bride. Um, Yeah, I think that's how I'll, I'll yeah. But yeah, just to see how Jesus was. Yeah. I will go really quick, because I, I feel like I just said it. Um, I think uh, if I could communicate anything, it would be that um, we don't, to not do things to just include women to make sure they're seen and heard, and, but it's, it's, uh, the reason we do things is because we're all on this journey to walk in our true identity. And um, I would say to anyone that it would be 
finding and hearing from God your calling and your gifting and walking truly in it. And if your context doesn't allow you to do that, um, to find people that are on this journey with you to help discern what to do and how to approach it. Sometimes it needs to be approached and sometimes it's time for you find your context. Um, but the point is not for power or leadership or anything like that. It's, it's truly walking. two things okay thing number one i think if we if the church could be maybe more hopeful about what this kind of a shift would mean for its health i think that would be really helpful to see the variety of voices the variety of experiences uh, both celebrated and uh, you know elevated um I think it would be really healthy for friendships in the church. I think it would be healthy for, um, for marriages. I think it's healthy for raising up children in the church. And I think it's healthy for our church's impact in its community as well. Um, the second thing I'd say is just for the church in general to, if you say you believe this, prove it. Don't just talk about it. Show in your actions. Show in your hiring. Show in your um, the way that you uh, give examples. Show in what translation of scripture that you use. Show that this is... Make steps to act, not just talk about it. Thank you all so very much. All right, we're going to open it up to you. My initial plan was I was going to have a microphone to run back there, uh, but it's dead. Uh, so I'm going to leave the microphone up here so you can shout out your question. Uh, and then whoever wants to answer first, please restate the question for the podcast. Uh, otherwise, it'll just it'll be an answer with no context uh, from there. So, uh, yeah, raise your hand and then I'll call. I'll, I'll point to you so we you know keep some you know semblance of not yelling over top of one another. And then we'll just kind of go from there. Sound good? Uh, ladies, just pass the microphone back and forth. So Troy said, he has three daughters. How do you talk to your daughters about this? Um, we have been very specific in the way that we say, we talk about men and women. We use inclusive language in our home. We um, actually, just the other day, one of my daughters said, why are there so many stories about men in the Bible? And I said, well, why do you think that? I don't think it's necessary to even in my mind, I'm like, I know. <laughs> there are women also, and they go together. <laughs> but um, I just said, well, bite my tongue. Well, why do you think that is? I don't know. I mean, we talked about it. It became a conversation. But also, I, I asked if they would come with me to worship when Amber was preaching. Um, I have tried to create, and not me, Jason as well, to create scenarios where they see women um, in roles that they can identify with. So maybe just the intentionality of both conversation at home and then also exposing them to um, situations where women I'm going to add just one thing to that. I try to be really careful like when I'm talking to the kids about Scripture uh, that I talk about Abraham and Sarah. I think there's a, those kinds of even things are huge shifts that oftentimes we just talk about Abraham, right? And so it's Abraham, and it's Isaac, and 
that no, there are matriarchs in the middle of this conversation as well. They're there in the text. We oftentimes just in shortening, summarizing things, uh, we move beyond that. And so I, that's been a, a big part for us as well, is trying to be very intentional. Um, we do things like Jesse Tree at Advent, kind of talking through the whole story of Scripture to make sure we're highlighting along the way so that they're continuing to hear the stories of both and that we're doing everything we can to help make sure that's clear. So I'll answer as a daughter. Um, my parents modeled it, so um, just, and it's just been a recent journey that it's really exploded in our household, some of it because of um, me and my sisters are all getting into leadership, and so it's it's a hot topic in our house. Um, but my mom is also on a journey, um, and she recently uh, got her doctorate of ministry. And my just watching and observing my dad um, be a very strong male in our house, but also allow her to be a leader in ministry. And it's um, not in a context where he's also a leader. And so he goes to places where she's teaching. Um, he allowed her to get a doctorate of ministry and like was championing her the whole time. Um, and she currently now was actually named a pastor in the congregation that I like um, volunteered in. So it was a huge win for us as far as just um, the journey we've been on, but the way they modeled it. Um, and also being in the context that we were, um, my dad knew the limitations that exist for me in ministry in this context. But I never, he never told those things to me. Um, so when I was debating, uh, do I go into pastoral ministry? Do I do this? Do that? Do I that? He never said, oh, well, you know, you can't get ordained. Or, you know, you can't. So he championed my dreams, even though he probably knew the limitations to them. Um, but he allowed me to get there on my own um, and then helped in the conversation along the way. I would say um, be careful to not inadvertently instill fear as, as you're addressing these topics and as you're raising them. Um, my daughter is 25. Uh, she's, you might listen to this, so I'll stop right there. Um, <laughs> she's fantastic, I will say that. But in this arena, the the church is behind the world. And so these kids go out and they see, oh, women are being given opportunities and viewed more as equals here, here, here. I mean, we understand the recent history of what's going on. I'm not denying that. But then she looks back at the church and thinks that you guys are just a mess. You're way behind the times. And so I look at how I raised her. She has two older brothers. And... This, this push-pull tension of wisdom and just fear. Like, oh yeah, the boys could go outside and ride their bikes. You can't go by yourself. And so having the wisdom to not put anyone in harm's way, but not instilling, it's simply because you're female. And so, yeah, to, to empower without bringing in that fear. That makes sense? But for the podcast, Sarah was saying she just was uh, affirming that what children view in their family of origin is a very powerful understanding of it's 
Yeah, Jason and I were actually talking about this last week um, because I said, you know, oh, I'm sorry. The question being, uh, you know, you hear about a scripture being controversial or this a subject being controversial. Well, how do you know then when you read something at, you know, your language's face value in, in the translation, how do you know if you should take it as a contextual thing or an overarching thing, etc.? Well, I am not the person to answer that question, but I will also say that Last week, um, I said, you know, you, you named this, these as controversial texts. And even the fact that it's seen as a controversy is so frustrating. <laughs> this is about, like, what male, what passages you read that have, you know, supposedly specific instructions to men that everyone in the church is like, oh, this is really controversial. Some people believe this way, some people believe that way, etc. So I think it's important to pay attention to, um, you know, messages that we've received in the church. I think it's good to question. I think the only way you can find out if something is contextual or not is to start asking questions about the text. And you can find so much for free online. Granted, it could also be confusing, but... There are just so many people who have started putting these questions out there and diving deeper than we do at face value. I think the issue is we take everything at face value and, you know, literally, so to speak, and we don't ever question, what does this mean, for, not just for me, what does this mean for the community that I'm in right now, and what does this mean for the overarching story of God? And that's when we start really getting into the meat of the text have a friend who's reading a book that I have not read. I'm just going to throw that out there. I'm not sure all of its positions, but it's called Half the Church. And a lot of it, I think from what she's told me, draws kind of from uh, the garden and, and in the garden before the fall. And so it was before the fall that God said it's not good for man to be alone. And um, part of the premise of this book then goes on to say that in everything in the world after the fall, man has been alone. Man has led governments. Man has led corporations. Man has done this. Very rarely with a female inside. You know, the saying, behind every good man is a strong woman. That's a nice saying. But it's never been the, the two together exercising dominion the way that it's meant in Genesis. And so to me, I go back to um, the overarching narrative of Scripture and everything viewed through the lens of Christ. That's why when I had the one thing that I would say, it would be, see how Jesus was with women. Um, a fun little imaginative exercise for the men in the group is to put yourself in the female positions if, as you imagine and as you read the text. Put yourself as that woman coming with some desperate physical need to touch the hem of the garment, that kind of thing. Um, but for me, Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, opens the way for us to be back in that garden relationship with God. We are once again innocent. We eat of the tree of life now, which is Christ himself, 
And so we are called to live differently than the world. And in the original plan, to my understanding and way of viewing the scriptures, both were set in place to to treat and act in the world as God himself would act in the world. And it took the two together. And if that was the plan in the garden, in and through Christ, it should be no less now. And so in contextualizing, I think looking at that overarching narrative, what was God's original intent? What is he calling us to do in Christ? How are we supposed to look together in the world as a couple or as in any kind of relationship? How are we to look that will communicate there's a different way to live? And to me, all of the, the scriptures that like to be called controversial are very much striving for established order after the fall. I don't know if this will answer the question. I'll give it a shot. Um, I think understanding uh, that the approach to scripture is like you would any other prophetic word from God as far as um, scripture being God-breathed. It's, it is for the now and it is a historic document. At the same time, there's always been that tension. I think that's why even the academic realm of theology emerged is is because of that, um, is the discussion of scripture and the, um, then the implications of scripture. So um, how I would suggest to approach it would be to do, as scripture says for prophetic, is to test it humbly, to discern with the body, um, and then the mis- and embrace the mystery of it. Um, there will be some things that you just don't know the answer. And sometimes there, because there isn't an answer, and sometimes it's because it's not right now. Um, and those things are to be held just loosely. Um, so I, I don't believe in a, I don't understand this, I'm gonna throw it out. Or this is, uh, this is supposed to be literal. I don't like it, so I'm gonna throw it out. Um, so I think it's just embracing the mystery of it um, and viewing it as a journey of discerning it with others. And then there, there's tools in that. There's there's people that will bring insight. And staying open-handed with scripture uh, allows space for the spirit to move in it and to speak. Um, and I think when we hunker down in, in it is where we can get in trouble for us taking control of the scripture. Um, if I may real quick uh, that's what faith is is living in the mystery of not having all the answers if we had all the answers it wouldn't be faith I'll just add to that really quick I think probably the the two like most transformative things for me in reading scripture uh, were moving away from I think the dominant sort of way of reading scripture in the church is um privatized reading of small parts right it's the privatized reading like me as an individual reading a verse that that becomes sort of the, the primary way that we talk about reading scriptures as opposed to a communal reading of books communal reading of the text as a whole and so finding then who are the people that I read with um, and some of that has been you know people from long ago and reading texts with them 
some of its current scholars who, um, you know, knowing that these are people who actually love God uh, and actually are involved in church and actually living out faithful lives. Because there's lots of people who are New Testament scholars or Old Testament scholars who, who are atheists um, and are not involved in the life of the church. And I think there's something about these texts that are designed for the life of the of they're written to God's people about the life of God's people. And so there's an insight that comes from actually living out these texts in the community with one another. Uh, and, you know, kind of finding who those folks are. And then finding who are the, the people that are uh, flesh and blood right next to me in my community with people who's, uh, who, who bring insight and expertise or, or scholarship or um, something into reading um, that can be beneficial. Uh, and that, for me, I think more than anything, is a journey of humility. Uh, saying, I, when I first came to faith, it was just sort of like, like you read it uh, as it, as if in and of myself I had everything that I needed. And I, I think there's there's there is some beauty in that, right? The spirit lives inside of us, and there is a plain sense of the text that we can see that we need Jesus, we need forgiveness and redemption. We can get some of those big things, um, but then there's these other places where even uh, there's a passage later in the New Testament that talks about how uh, another writer telling uh, somebody that Paul's hard to understand. <laughs> and so if if another New Testament writer who also spoke and wrote in Greek found Paul hard to understand, chances are we might too, uh, and we need help along the way. That. Great question. I bet we will all three have a different opinion on that. The question was, you said this was a gospel issue. Gospel issues are typically salvation, you know, God in Christ, who is God, that kind of thing. So is this working? My personal journey is, right now, is to embrace, I'm not doing a good job so I'll just say that. But I have found right now that my invitation from God is to see um, to see this as something that can be disagreed about and I can still trust the faith of another person who disagrees with me on this issue. Because right now, I don't. I really don't. I think we should leave the church over this issue. I think it is worth a church split over this issue. And I know that's not maybe true. I'm doubting. I'm doubting it because I feel so passionately about it. I'm doubting my feelings on it a little bit. But I will say for me personally, we have we have turned down jobs because of the denomination stance. Um, I have, maybe for better or for worse, like leaned out of a friendship because of someone's stance on this. Because I think in the end, it does affect the health of the church. That's me. The answer for me is depends. How does God want you to live in the body where you are? And um, I was just thinking earlier as you were talking, you know, it's been less than 100 years that women could vote in this country. Less than 100 years, historically speaking, that is the Kalinka The original suffragettes that marched, they went through. I will say it in the microphone, hell. They went through hell the way that they were treated. And so it it 
it that in this case, God, what are you calling me to be in this church? Is it to make a statement by saying, I cannot support this theology, therefore I will leave? Or is it to live in a way in this church that will help begin this change? And so I don't think there's a given answer. It's always right or it's always wrong. Um, I think that's something that has to be discerned by the individual in the body where he or she is to make that choice. Sorry. I probably would say it depends as well. Um, because I don't think there's any aspects of the gospel that are the one aspect of the gospel. Because it's the gospel. <laughs> um, so to view it as a part of a whole, um, in any situation, there's always some part that maybe will rise to the surface. So if uh, I've found in my context, and this is, Jason and I were talking about this, is if, if at any point I can't walk in my full calling to on mission to win people to Christ um, and to walk boldly in my identity because I'm a woman in leadership, so that becomes the issue, then yes, I have to, I have to leave. Um, so then it becomes that important. But is it the the issue? I, I don't think so. I think it just... I'll, I'll say one more thing before I give the man the mic. Um, some of it, I think, we need to readdress the definition of gospel and the definition of salvation. One of my favorite sayings that I learned in seminary is this, that salvation is not so much getting us into heaven, but getting heaven into us. And so that's what I was alluding to before. How do we live now in this planet as if we were already connected with heaven? Because we are. We have the fullness of the living God dwelling within us. That is an astonishing thing. And women don't get 50% of the spirit. No, we get all the spirit too. So, but the idea that that salvation or going to preach the gospel isn't just you say a sinner's prayer and now you're going to heaven when you die. It had been kind of distilled into that. But the fuller picture is how it, what is the kingdom of God like? How will we live in heaven? And then to appropriate that here again. And so in that sense, yeah, we need to redefine the gospel message. That, I mean, that's exactly what I was going to add is I was probably pretty, I was, I was pretty, I was pretty loose with my language. Thanks for calling that out. Because I think we can talk about the gospel in, in kind of like three terms, right? So there's the gospels, we're referring to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I think there's the core of the gospel, which we find containing the truths, right? So there's Corinthians 15. Creeds like the the sort of core sort of things. And we don't find something like this at the list of the creed. We don't find this being addressed in First Corinthians fifteen. You know, in Paul saying, "I handed down to you what I what I was also received." And yet, and I think there's this larger sort of piece, which is where I, the frame I was using, which I think the gospel is about God's inbreaking kingdom. Um, the gospel of Jesus proclaimed is a gospel about God's kingdom coming near. And so, when we talk about that aspect of what does it mean to be the kind of people who live under God's kingdom reign here and now? 
I think it's a gospel issue in that sense of as a, as an outpost to what kingdom life looks like. I think it's a critical sort of piece. Um, so I have turned down jobs um, because of it. I just feel like this was a core conviction for mine, and didn't feel that I could um, that it wouldn't be it wouldn't be healthy for the church or for me and my family to pretend that wasn't an issue in accepting the job in a pastoral kind of position in that sense. Um, I, so, and, and I, so I, we've been in that place. The splitting the church thing is the one that's really hard for me because uh, I think the church should be a place in which we find ways to live together uh, even in places that we disagree um, now that may mean that a person feels like I cannot be a part of this community. Um, I think splitting the church over an issue is, is, is a little feels a little bit heavier for me than just somebody saying this is so this is a deep passionate conviction of mine that it's hard for you to be a part of this fellowship and move on to another one. In all honor and respect and blessing that should come in being brothers and sisters of Christ. Like that. I don't know if that helps. But that's the question. Uh, I'll try to recap the question. Um, she asked about the, the the statement I had said about the difference or the the pairing of spiritual leadership and spiritual authority, and seeing contexts where women have been given the authority and then maybe have given it given it up um, because of their context or because of their being a woman. Is that and okay? Does that recap the question? Um, yeah, so that's I, this is a fresh thing that I'm sorting through. Um, so, yes, that that's the context of my response. Um, but I think it goes back to for me right now. It goes back to that Joel passage of like living in the fullness of the Spirit and walking in the fullness of the Spirit and what that looks like. And when that's in a context of leadership, there adds a layer of um, spiritual leadership that is uh, different than just you personally walking in the spirit. Um, so when it's in the context of leadership, that authority piece uh, has extends its implications, I think, as to, in terms of authority. Um, and so if a woman is given the authority in a leadership position, um, and then chooses to give it up. I feel like that's uh, that's so rough uh, for me because I feel like there's so much at stake there. Um, I'm trying to like gather my thoughts. Um, it, I think it boils down for me as walking in the fullness of the spirit and what that is. And so, in a context of the of leadership. Um, it's fully walking with the mind of Christ is what it would be. Um, there's a lot of books of spiritual leadership that just talk about it in more of a CEO um, and methods and tactics. And, and when you add the authority component, there's so much more power. And I think it goes back to that bringing the kingdom down um, and finding the mind of Christ in the kingdom and what that looks like here and actually rolling it out. And that trumps any leadership role 
that could be given. And in a certain context where you're not given the leadership role, um, the level of authority is the same. So the level of authority follows the believer. Um, I don't think it's paired necessarily with the level of leadership. And so I think as women, we need to walk with the same level of authority regardless of whatever level of leadership um, so I don't know if that, that kind of highlights the, maybe the differences of what I'm, when you said CEO models, this reminded me of a research paper that I did in a women in church and society class. And it was a business book that I would, or not book, but books that I was basing my research off of. But I read a really interesting text on, um, male and female styles of leadership and, Granted, those can be generalities um, that I don't want to get stuck in, but um, a really interesting shift that happened in my mind was that I think sometimes we, we, we do get stuck in generalities about what hierarchy means, what authority means, and this text from the you know, quote-unquote business world was talking about the tendency of women to lead in this more like spiderweb effect like the connectedness of the person with authority, they were at the center and then there were all these web, this web that they had created that where communication was going to all these different people. It was much more, it was less hierarchical and more of a webbed connectedness. And that really um, was helpful for me, even in the church to see that just because um, I do wanna see a hierarchical authority structure in the church sometimes, because that's what I feel like I'm used to seeing, and that's not the only way to lead. And even to realize that I have a, an idea in my mind of hierarchy and, okay, for a shift to be understood, then a woman needs to be at the top, and there needs to be all these people under them. Again, that is recognized even in the business world as not the only way to lead. And so to really grasp, like, what do I even mean by authority when I hear that? It's good to hear what you're saying, Jen, about well, where does authority even begin? Is authority does authority mean source? Does it mean hierarchy? Does it mean power? You know, what? Let's deconstruct this a little bit and recognize that there's a lot more here than we're used to seeing, and we should maybe open our eyes a little bit. Is there another question, Jonathan? Do you have a question? Okay, that's a great insight, Pam. So Pam was just saying that you know that we have to recognize in the middle of all of this that there are generational components to these things, and there are cultural components to these conversations. Um, and so what one generation heard or was taught or lived into can change from generation to generation and be able to recognize that, to name that, uh, as well as recognizing the way that culture influences the way that we read and that we think and that we plan and we organize and structure, uh, and that we can't deny the fact that we are actually reading from a cultural lens and reading into a different cultural lens. Uh, that when we're reading first century texts, we're reading them as 21st century Americans. Um, and we can't pretend that that's not an act of a thing. We actually have to be able to name that, to recognize those things, and then to help kind of peel those layers off the best we can, and to understand the original sort of cultural. And then do that sort of cultural discernment of how people this from one to another. Uh, and I... And I think that there's something in that too, Pam, that allows us, as we're kind of wrestling through, to extend grace in the conversations. 
and to extend grace to the generations that have gone before us, uh, to extend grace even to those who have differences of opinions than, uh, than we have in the middle of this, uh, to recognize that uh, oftentimes the way that we even come into a conversation, and the, the Lord brought us into that. The, the Lord is the one who taught us and showed us and, um, and you know, challenged us and walked us through something. Uh, and that was his grace in our lives. And if he has yet to do that with somebody else, um, that is not necessarily a reason then to look down on that person. You know, it, it's all of the things that we have or a sense of God's grace and his spirit at work in us. Um, and so sometimes I can even kind of project back generationally, right? We can begin to sort of look down on one generation uh, and then we miss out on how faithful they were to Jesus with what it is that they had or what they were given or what the context that they were living out their faith in. Uh, and, and we begin to miss the beauty of their life and their testimony um, for the sake of those things. And so we uphold all of that together and continue to talk in ways that are hopefully both non-honoring and other-honoring and recognizing all of the factors that are involved. Yes. It's kind of along those lines, when we were at Asbury, there was a beautiful international community there that did, in, in some, I know, small ways, because there's so much more to learn, but opened my eyes to the experiences of people in the Southern Hemisphere, people from nations where maybe the dominant faith is Islam. Um, and so when I look, though, at the fruit of what has happened in communities over centuries and in other cultures that are not Western, at um, the fruit of what happens when women are um, encouraged and when women are uh, appreciated for what they offer, it is beautiful. There have been wars that have been stopped. There have been, um, I met a man from, where was his name? I don't where he was from, but he came to seminary to do his PhD, and his, and he was a leader in the church, in his, uh, in his, I think he was from a village, but he had some leadership in other villages, and his opinion on the place of women in the church changed, changed his entire dissertation when he was at the seminary, his wife was not able to come with him, so he was here for, in the States for many years, and he told a testimony of going back to his family, and his wife said, what happened to you? The way that he treated her was different. The way that he respected her was different. She didn't know what to, what to make of it, but it changed their marriage. I remember meeting her face-to-face and trying to cry. And for so long, he just thought her place was in the kitchen, honestly, and the fact that he saw her in this different light and kind of stepped back and saw her differently, she blossomed as well. And so I think, yes, this is cultural, this can be generational, but I would also say when you look at the fruit, not of men bashing, but the fruit of women affirmation, there is some beautiful things that happen in community. I think it's important to keep in mind that Jesus was in a cultural context and spoke to a culture and a religion and a structure. Um, and I think we can take principles to how he interacted with that as well. There were some times where he engaged it and there was conversation and there was um, 
things happening. And then there's other times where he was whipping tables. And um, and then there was times where he just didn't engage in the conversation. They're not worth his time or it was not what God was calling him to do in that moment. And so I think that's, that's how we can similarly approach our culture and our context is with the principles to which Jesus is. I don't think we need to come in with whips, but there are some times where it needs a strong stance. And then there's other times where it's not time to engage. And then there's times where there's needs to be dialogue. So I think that's Let's thank them for time today. Thank you, ladies. Really appreciate your witness. Uh, let's pray together, and then uh, we'll close up and chat some more. Father, thank you um, for the inbreaking kingdom of God in our lives. Pray that you give us eyes to see one another as people who are made in God's image, who bear your kingdom in our lives and relationships in the church and in our world, and help us to embrace all it is that you are doing in and through us. Help us, particularly as a church, um, to affirm, to encourage, to um, share gospel work, uh, regardless of gender. Uh, help us to know how to do that in a way that puts you and your kingdom on display for the world to see. Love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, next week, by the way, real quick before I forget, we're going to start a three-week series on suffering and grief events and hope. Um, so there'll be some conversations around those things during next week. Uh, Bemni, so some of you know Bemni is going to be uh, talking next week kind of about his journey of walking through the uh, sudden and unexpected loss of his spouse a couple years into marriage uh, and how you know, what he learned through that journey. Uh, how Jesus carried him through, what he learned about lament and hope. Uh, and then we'll have a few other people sharing a little bit later on out of about that. But thanks again for coming, ladies. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Have a good rest of the day.